Welcome to the Texas Home Improvement Super Podcast with Jim Dutton. All the best calls this week throughout the state of Texas. Brought to you by Floor and Decor. Largest selection of hard surface flooring and lowest prices guaranteed. Hello, Ken. Welcome to Texas Home Improvement. Hey, good afternoon. I need to put up a shade on a stucco wall outside on the patio. What are the best fasteners or screws to use? And are you also, gonna, do I need to find do I need to find the studs or will a stucco hold it? Well, that was what I was going to ask you. Are, are you going to be able to find where there is solid wood to screw into? Man, I took my stud finder up there and I still couldn't. It couldn't give me anything consistent. Yeah, you know, get, if it is it a real stucco? Yeah. Or or is it uh, EFIS type stucco? No, it's real stucco with. Uh, the yeah, the, the metal backing. The, yeah, that's what I was going to say. That stud finder's not going to find it then because they it works off of the uh, the, the nails that are in the two by four, and that uh-huh. metal lath behind the stucco is just going to freak it out. Yeah, that's why I can't find it. So I didn't know whether I should just try Tapcon into the stucco, or no, should I? It it wouldn't hold that stuck if true stucco that way is going to be. Typically about a inch or so thick, uh-huh. give or take a little bit. So um, you can go through and put uh, how heavy a sun. What are you putting up on it? Just a, a window shade for outside. It's probably thirty pounds. Okay, so you could put in toggle type bolts. You know where you pass it uh-huh. through and it flares right. out, or the type that compress behind. The thing you got to be careful of, though, if it gets too heavy, it could start cracking and fracturing that stucco. Not then you got a real mess on your hand. So if you can get into where there's studs or wood behind it, you're far better off. Uh, in some cases, the stucco actually has wood behind it that the the metal lath went onto. Other cases, uh-huh. they use just that black tarboard type stuff so it's going to depend on how they actually put this together when they originally did it but yes you could get away with the the toggle uh you're just going to have to make sure it's big enough and spreads out far enough that it it doesn't create a weak spot so trying to find out where the lumber is is pretty <laughs> lucky i guess it, it's going to be tough yeah now okay, I secondary you. thing when you drill uh-huh. that hole and you get ready to pass something through it, whether it's a screw going into the studs or that toggle bolt, make sure you fill that hole and seal it well with a with a silicone siliconized caulk, because okay. you don't want any water finding a path back behind it. Okay, I'm gonna think about it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, per, I, I'm gonna tell you up front personally. I wouldn't be drilling through the stucco. Well, I don't think I'm going to do that now either. <laughs> okay. I've been sitting there looking at it for a month now, thinking whether to do it or not with this quarantine. But yep, you've given me good advice before, so I appreciate it. All right, you take care. Thank you. Bye. Yeah, there's there's some things you can do it. I just wouldn't recommend it. Hello, Tom. How are you today? Oh, doing fine. Doing fine. Uh, just have a question about sound insulation between floors. Okay. I've got a, a house. i got a bedroom over a bedroom, 
and it's you know if you're in one room you can hear what's going on in the other and i was wondering what would be a good way to sound insulate between those rooms and, and it's uh one on top of the other or side by yeah, side yeah yeah one on top okay right uh you know they make stuff that you can put in when it's being built but retrofitting becomes kind of pricey because you typically have to take off coverings in order to get down in there to put something um well, however pull the sheet the sheetrock down from the ceiling below that would be okay. fairly easy i think yeah and, and honestly one of probably the least expensive and easiest ways to to do this is going to be with the spray foam insulation it, it's really good at sound deadening and stuff. Virtually any insulation will help, but the spray foam does a really great job of it, uh, and that would probably be what I would look at doing. Okay, okay. Well, I don't have any crown molding or anything in there, so it would be just take sheetrock off and spray it and then put sheetrock back. Yep. So, and texture, of course. So, okay, if do you think the spray-in uh, foam insulation would be the thing? Yeah. Okay. I appreciate it. You bet. Take care. All right. Bye. Bye. Yeah, that this, you know, and I don't like it sealing up the whole house and all that, but for an application like this, it really does do a great job. Let's head to our last call of this hour. Randy in Fort Worth, how are you? Hey, I'm good. How are you doing today? Doing great. How can I help you? Good. Hey, we are going through a remodel. And we are um, looking at adding gutters. We've not had gutters to our home before. Uh -huh. So we're looking at adding um, gutters. And it's the house, the square footage is about uh, 2,400 square feet um, inside. So my question regarding gutters, is there typically, like, should we go a standard or in, in normal places, would you do a a four-inch gutter or a six-inch gutter, and then what about like a leaf guard system or anything well, it, like that? And then it's all going to depend on what you have for trees around the home. You know, if you got a lot of trees and stuff, then yeah, you want to go with a leaf guard or gutter max, one of those. If you don't have a lot of trees, just a regular four-inch gutter for most people is all they need. The one thing I will tell you, I think people overdo gutters. You typically don't need it all the way around the house. If the water will drain away from the home then there's not a reason to have a gutter there. But if it's washing soil or above a door, patios, things like that, that's where you want to use gutters. He says, I purchased my home back in 2001 as a new build. I did not do watering my foundation good enough, so there are cracks on floor tiles, ceiling, and the outside brick walls. Do you think the foundation of my house has been settled yet? Just like you show us on the video, do I still need to water the foundation even though there are already many cracks? If I'm going to repair the foundation before fixing the cracks, when is the best time or month to do so? Thank you so much for the time. Be safe. Well, you know, a lot of times people think because the foundation has moved, it's going to stop moving. It doesn't. It continues to move. What causes the foundations to move? The soils, when they dry out, they shrink. When they get wet, they expand again, but not as much as they were the time before. Our soils are still going through a consolidation, and so it'll just continue with that movement. 
typically the middle of the foundation stays moist and stays in an expanded state. And so it's the outside edges that normally are going up and down with the moisture changes unless there's something outside causing it, such as trees around the foundation sending roots up underneath that are taking even more moisture out, broken water pipes that are putting too much water underneath. And by that, I mean sewer pipes. Your water lines can do it as well, but you know, typically we can have breaks in our sewer pipes and not even know it, and that can wreak havoc with the foundation. So, no, it's not going to stop just because it ages. And the fact is, most of the time, people don't even start seeing the movement until a house is 18 years old. And guess what? You purchased yours back in 01. Here we are in 20. 19 years old, you're in that right time frame. It will continue to get worse over time. Now, the watering will stabilize it and keep it from getting worse. If you got trees, then you want to put root barriers so that the trees don't even send more roots in that direction because you're watering. As far as what's the best time of year to fix it, there really isn't. Uh, you know, because the, the weather cycles are always changing and such. And sometimes people think, well, if I do it during a drought time, you know, I'm going to see it at its worst. If I do it during a wet time, I'm going to see it at its best. It really doesn't matter. Anytime that you're having the issue and want to get it addressed is the right time to get it taken care of. Hello, Jared. Hey, Jim. How are you? Man, I'm doing great. Awesome. Say, so we're, uh, we're looking at moving to get a little closer to the kids uh, and grandchildren. And uh, looking at some of the houses, my wife tends to land on pier and beam homes because of their aesthetic value. They're older, uh, you know, and if they're done right, particularly in the old section of Grand, of uh, Waxahachie, um, she, she really tends to migrate that way. Oh, there's some gorgeous got, ones there. Oh, yeah, they're expensive, too. But yeah. <laughs> so, uh, we're looking more like to Midlothian, um, okay. which is close enough. But uh, I guess I'm, I'm the one with reservations on Pier and Bing. Um, growing up years ago, uh, as a child, I lived in a couple of Pier and Bing homes, we did, and I just remember those being uh, extremely cold and, and noisy. They were hardwood wood floors, which was great. However, walking across those things, you heard it all the way uh, through the house, basically. And I don't know if that was just the nature of that particular home or not. But what's your opinion? I mean, uh, comparing a slab foundation and pier and beam, what kind of problems or potential issues are we going to run across in a pier and beam? Well, there's plus and minuses. They, you, Depending on how it was put together, you do hear it when you walk across them. But quite frankly, on a lot of the slab homes with the wood floors they put in, you hear it nowadays as well. So I, I kind of discount that when I don't worry about it too much. Because if you if you don't want to hear it, put carpet down or something, and, and they do become very quiet. Uh, the big advantage to them is you have access underneath to repair plumbing lines, sewer lines. Uh, you can run electric lines. Whatever you want to do is very easily done when you're in a pier and beam home. Negative side, typically they have to be adjusted foundation-wise a lot more often than a slab does because they've got uh, you know base stations underneath that hold the floors up 
mm-hmm. it's just a small area that it sits on. It's just those little columns. And typically, they didn't go down deep into the ground with those. They're sitting on the surface. And so they tend to move up and down a little bit. But they're relatively inexpensive to adjust. Uh, so okay. uh, I personally love them. I love the looks of them, uh, the the character of them, especially if you start getting into some of the older ones. But mm-hmm. you are correct in that the floors can be colder. The mistake people make, though, is they start closing up the vents. That causes wood rot that can cause other issues. If you want to help with the cold floors, you can have a closed-cell foam insulation, and all you need is like a, an inch or so blown on the bottom of those floors, and it seals out moisture, seals out the coldness, and can actually make it a lot quieter and uh, more comfortable. Is that uh, expensive to do? I guess it would depend on the square feet of what you're Yeah, it'll blown. depend on the square feet and, and what your de- definition of expensive is. <laughs> of course. <laughs> uh, that makes a lot of sense there. <laughs> uh, uh, does your company do that as well? No, we, we actually don't. I've I've looked at doing it several times. I've got the equipment for it, but I don't have the trained personnel for it, so I haven't jumped into it. All right. Well, I appreciate you taking my call. I enjoy listening to your show. Jared, good luck with that. Thank you very much. Let's go to Granberry. Hello, Albert. How are you? Thank you, Jim, for talking to me. You bet. I have a question. I have a a bathroom in a, in a slab house that has a shower and a large garden tub. It is a relatively large bathroom area. And what I have wondered about was modifying, removing the garden tub and building a larger shower for the same area. We, okay. And my question, I think, and I, I haven't really talked to anybody yet, usually you're the first one, is I, I'm concerned about the drain. The drain for the garden tub, and again, I haven't really opened it up and looked at it yet, but I, I believe it's a little bit smaller in diameter than the drain in the floor shower that exists already. You know, I, what I'm what I'm wondering about is I really don't want to tear up the floor area. Right. I'd like to use the same drain drain area, probably plug off the existing shower, not have a tub at all in the room, and have a larger uh, shower area. The drains in the tub and shower are typically the same size so you shouldn't have any issues with that when you look at a shower drain it looks like it's going to be a bigger pipe uh, because typically under a bathtub it has a p-trap that comes out of the tub and that is slightly smaller than the pipe and so once you get through the p-trap and everything you would get down to the main pipe which is what you would actually use when you tore all the tub out and put in a shower so I don't think you'll have any issues with the drain at all. Okay. Okay, that that helps me. Like I say, I I almost I was somewhat resistant to even calling anybody because I looking at the two drains again from the outside looking sure. down, uh it just looks smaller and Yeah. I, yeah, that's that's only because of the P trap under the, under the the uh tub. So when 
when they would come in and do that, would they leave the P-trap in there? Or no, would they... it would come out, and they'd have to dig where the pipe stubs up for the uh, tub drain. They would actually dig down and put a, a, a regular pipe P-trap in there for the shower. Okay, because it looks, because the, the surface of the tub appears to be at the same level as the floor right now. It, it, and, it, it, and it should be. The, what they have under a bathtub, though, is a one-foot-by-one-foot one box out, and that's what the P-trap goes into. Okay. okay. Well, I thank you for your help. That, that at least clears up a question that I had prior to calling anybody. So. Oh, no problem at all. All right, uh, let's uh, talk with Ralph from Louisville. How are you today? Hi, all right. Uh, I'm looking at my house here. I've got, uh, I guess you'd say, a, a, a concrete slab. Okay. But there's an area where the concrete is falling apart that butts up against the brick. They have, uh, from the ground on one side, at one corner, it's at a corner or near a corner, Okay. It's like four inches up. Then on this other side, it's at least, uh, I'm going to say, 12, 14, 16 inches high. And the cement has, your concrete has fallen out where it's butted up against some brick that they put on there. Right. And is it right on the corner that this is happening? Uh, No, there's brick on the corner. Okay. So it's where uh, the brick and this concrete made up. Gotcha. Yeah. And it, when I look at it, where the where the concrete's missing, there is probably an eighth of an inch of crack between the uh, uh, where the brick is and where the cement is. Yeah. I are, don't are really you, see a crack in the house or inside or outside. And you probably won't. I mean, that, that's usually not a, a, a huge structural issue. A lot of times it's because the rebar got too close to the surface and starts taking on moisture and rusting and expanding, and it, and it splinters the the concrete off that way. Are you seeing any rebar edges there where it's come off? Uh, no, I don't. Oh, wait okay. a minute. Wait a minute. Yes, I do. Yep. Yeah, there's it, a little round rebar there. Yep, and that's usually what causes it. So what you end up doing is getting some... Uh, uh, wire brushes and cleaning it up real good. Put a rust inhibitor on it, uh, and then you can skim coat it using a. Uh, oh shoot! Five hours and I start forgetting things. Then <laughs> mortar mix. You yeah. can uh, skim coat it with mortar mix, mm-hmm. and and uh, you know usually the mortar mix is going to be darker color than your concrete is, but you can skim coat the whole side and makes it look like one even thing that was done. Uh, yeah, that that's what they had done. It looks like when they yep. built the house, they screwed up and they put mortar mix on there. And, uh, yep. And, some and of that on, honestly, off. you know, it'll last 5, 10, 15, 20 years and probably have to be done again, but it's really easy to do, so it, it doesn't take a whole lot. Now, before I get started on anything else, I have a uh, email that my son forwarded to me, and it came from a friend of his who is doing a home renovation project. So it starts off. Now, uh, this is a guy that both my sons have known uh, since they were in college. They they're 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 all best buddies, and he's he bought a, an old home, one from the '40s that he's redone, and he's still working on stuff. So. 
uh, when he sent this email, my son read it to me. I said, send me a copy of that. I got to use that. Because people are always asking me, can I do that project? Well, it all depends on your skill set. So it starts, gentlemen. I dug about 50 feet of trench and laid new electrical conduit yesterday. I thought I would document the process in case you ever had to do a similar project. Number one, realize that your mid-sized family sedan is too small to fit a trencher. Number two, rent a truck, trailer, and trencher from Home Depot for four hours. Number three, realize that you've never backed a trailer into a driveway before. Think, no guts, no glory, and go for it. So number four, attempt to back the trailer into the driveway four times, failing miserably, and be grateful that the loud backup alarm on your rented truck has invited all your neighbors to come watch the spectacle, some with adult beverages in hand. Number five, give up on backing the trailer in, do a lap around the block, and park across the street. Number six, curse quietly. Number seven, push the trencher to your back gate and determine that it is too large to fit through the gate. Number eight, disassemble 30-year-old fence, destroying several pieces in the process. Curse at normal volume. Number 10, begin trenching and remember to cut as many of your sprinkler lines as possible. Aim for at least three. Number 11, contact an old underground pipe that is not on the underground line map, causing the device to flip over backwards and hit you in the shin. Number 12, curse loudly. Number 13, run out of gas at 3 hours and 45 minutes into your 4-hour rental. Number 14, dig the last 4 feet manually. Curse continually throughout this step. And number 15, drink heavily. I just, I rolled laughing when I heard it, had to share it because, you know, people ask me all the time, can I do that project? It depends on the skill sets and what you've done in the past. Yes, you can do it. It just may not be enjoyable every time. John says, I have a 2,100 square foot house and my AC needs replacing. What size unit do I need and what SEER rating should it have? Well, it used to be rule of thumb was for every 500 square foot, you had a ton of air conditioning. That has gone away because we're making our houses so much more energy efficient. The only way to pick the right size air conditioning unit is to have a heat load done. And that's basically where they look at how the structure is built, where everything is, and the computer spits out what size. As far as SEER rating, we'll talk about that when we come back with more Texas Home Improvement left i was uh, saying i would talk about sear ratings and the sear rating is basically the energy efficiency of the air conditioning system the higher the number the more efficient the unit is right now the minimum number is 14 sear now a lot of us with older air conditioning systems have 10 to 13 sear ratings uh, right now the minimum is a 14 sear I typically tell people, be looking between 16 and 18. That's the biggest bang for the buck. But if you want to go for a really energy-efficient system, be looking at 18 to 21. And really, the best is go with like an 18 
variable speed. And the reason for the variable speed, that unit will stay on longer, but it's using far less energy. And it ramps up and down as it needs to. Well, the beautiful part about that, uh, if say you do parties sometimes, and your air conditioning system just can't really handle that extra load, when you have a variable speed, it ramps up and can handle that extra load. But then it drops back down where it's only operating at 60% of what it needs to. Well, that throws the SEER rating way up. So if you got an 18 SEER unit, that's rated as though it's running full blast, and that would be an 18 SEER. But when it ramps down and let's say it's only running at 60%, that's throwing that SEER rating way up. So they're actually a lot more efficient than what they're rated at when you take a look at variable speeds. But again, the SEER rating, the higher the number, the more efficient. What is the most effective and non-obtrusive way to soundproof interior doors? Well, a door is a solid unit. It's got a cavity inside, but it's not an empty cavity. Typically what's inside of hollow core doors is a cardboard that's basically expanded into these big triangle pieces. So really, if, if you're needing to soundproof a door, you got to get a different door that's made for soundproofing. Typically a solid door is going to do a much better job at soundproofing than a hollow core door. But uh, the fortunate thing is there's not much you're going to do to retrofit a door that's not going to be a, a real pain to do. So uh, if, if you're needing to make it quieter, like I said, I think you're looking at having to just replace the door. Hello, Jim. Enjoy your show. We are considering painting the brick on our 1972 ranch-style home in Colleyville. I've also heard of doing a German smear or slurry coat on the brick. Do you have an opinion on the German smear or slurry coat options. All depends on what you want to look at. And, and I say that because some people just don't care for that, that smear or slurry coat. Um, it, a lot, to a lot of people, it looks like it's unfinished because it's, it's smeared on there and it has, uh, um, it, it kind of looks like peeling paint. It usually looks like a wave coming up off of the the siding, and it just doesn't give it a, a clean look like a lot of people want. Now, no big deal until you go to sell the house. That can you know drive some of the buyers away, but so can ugly brick if if your brick doesn't look good. So you, you got several ways to look. If you do decide you're going to paint it, make sure that you use a masonry primer first and you got to get a good one because the primer is what's going to make sure that the paint sticks now houses built in the early 70s that way mine was built in 73 we all have that cheap soft mexican brick that uh, is extremely porous so that primer is going to soak in and and the whole purpose of that primer is to bond with the brick if you use just a cheap primer or regular paint it's going to peel off quick that primer is the key to making it last so get a good primer paint it and uh, you know again some people don't like painted brick so that may turn some people off as well 
but you got to do what's, what's right to make your house look good. So if you like the look of the German smear, there's absolutely nothing wrong with it. Um, originally, what they were, were semi going for is kind of a stucco type look or a uh, adobe type look. But uh, it's all depending on what you want to look at. Uh, you can paint it. You can you you can do the smear coating, what, whichever one. Uh, there is another process that you may want to consider, though, and that's a uh, cork. They use ground-up cork that's sprayed onto the siding, and it, it, it can go on brick, it can go on metal, it can go on virtually any type of siding or, or material. The advantage of it, it doesn't let the brick heat up, so it helps with your energy bills. It bonds extremely well, makes whatever it's put on more energy efficient because it seals everything as well as reflects the heat off of it. So that that could be a third option. I don't have a contractor to refer you on it. It's just a product that I've looked into a few times because I actually may put that one on my own home one day. Uh, I keep looking at it, but I haven't pulled the trigger on it yet. You've just heard the best calls and questions from Texas Home Improvement. For more information about our show, go to THIPro.com.